Hello, everyone. Welcome to Mission Driven Podcast. I am here today with Chris Hanna. He is an expedition travel associate. We're both travel enthusiasts, and I'm happy to have the opportunity to speak with him today. So thank you, Chris, for coming on. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's, um, you know, it, it's always great when I get to talk about what I enjoy and, and, and my passions, whether it be professionally or personally. So thank you for giving me the opportunity. Of course. Um, you're also a penguin enthusiast, which um, kindred spirits, it's always, it's always wonderful. Um, so I know that you're, you're pretty active on social media and you're really involved in the industry and it's, it's obvious that there is passion there. So why, what, what makes you passionate about being a, a, a travel person? Yeah, so um, kind of where the passion originally stems from, um, you know, there's a specific passion for expedition travel to the polar regions, to some of the most remote places on earth, but there's a more general and a more broad passion for the world, for travel in general. So it really all stems from first my my just love for, for travel and exploring the world, something that's been instilled in me from a very young age, both my father, um, who's an immigrant to the US and really took a leap of faith to move to the United States from Egypt with really nothing in his pocket, to my mother who um, could never sit still and explored Eastern Europe back in the 60s and the 70s when that was that not was really a thing for most US, uh, you know, most people in the US. And, and so it's kind of that wanderlust that's been instilled in me. Um, but I, you know, and, and as much as I traveled, I was very fortunate when I was young to travel, I didn't discover my passion for doing it kind of on a professional basis until about 12 years ago. Um, I, I became a travel agent at the time, and I realized that it combined in, a, in another existing passion of mine, which was sales and, and helping to deliver the right experience for the right people, married with travel. And all of a sudden I was like, oh my God, I can sell travel and I can make money. Isn't that cool? And so from there, it's, uh, it's blossomed. I mean, it's allowed me to see some of the most incredible places on earth and to help others experience them and to create memories. So for me, my, my passion really comes from um, probably to sum it up, just sharing my own, my, my passion is to share my passion. That's awesome. And, you know, you've shared with me that your dad was an immigrant and your mom was a traveler before, but as you were talking, I'm like, I, I just wonder if people that are born into multinational families, if they're just inherently more inclined to travel. So do you find a lot of your clients are multinational or are they first time people leaving the U.S.? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. Um, as far as their cultural background, I would say they come from all walks. But the uh, the underlying thread, though, is that they are experienced travelers. Um, the company that I work for, Quark Expeditions, specializes in the polar region, so Antarctica and the Arctic, so places like Greenland and the Russian Arctic, uh, Spitsbergen in, in a place in Norway, uh, northern, north of the Arctic Circle. 
So the people who travel to these places generally are very well traveled already. So they also have that sense of, of wanderlust and wanting to experience the world. And often the places that I help them visit are the last check boxes on their list. I mean, for many, Antarctica is the ultimate dream. It's that seventh continent. You've been everywhere else. You probably have not yet been to Antarctica. Yeah. And so for, for, for quite a few, the, um, regardless of what their background is, it's the dream. And, and it's that fulfillment of, uh, of a lifelong desire to travel to one of the last places on earth for anybody to get to travel to. And so, you know, that's, that speaks to that passion again, that I was talking about is helping people realize their dreams much as mine have been realized throughout my career. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. And I, obviously it's the seventh continent. It's a little harder to get to. You can't just take a train. Um, What kind of journey is it to get there? Yeah. Uh, so Quark Expeditions, we specialize in two main ways to, to get to Antarctica. We're actually very unique in the industry that we have the two ways to get there. Um, the first one is a more traditional journey where you would board a ship in a little tiny town at the southern tip of Argentina, a place called Ushuaia, and you sail across the infamous the dreaded, or even maybe the long-awaited, depending on, on your uh, comfort level, the Drake Passage. Um, the Drake Passage is, is about 600 miles wide. It's the convergence of the Atlantic, of the Pacific, of the Southern Oceans. It, there is no land to be seen for that 600 miles. So the winds are uninterrupted, they're unbroken. It can be... <clears throat> excuse me, it can be a harrowing journey. But for many, it's a badge of honor to go through that. And so you actually find out a lot about yourself. Even though you're traveling in, um, in comfort aboard one of our ships, these are purpose-built polar vessels. So your safety is never really a concern. You're enjoying wonderful food, taking part in great activities, but you're still spending about two days in each direction crossing that Drake Passage. You find a lot about yourself and what you can really withstand. Um, so it, it's, it's part of the, the badge of, of courage of going to a place like the Antarctica. But for those who um, maybe are a little bit squeamish or that's the thing that's stopping them, we offer a second option, and we're very unique in the industry that we offer that. It's a fly cruise option. So you board a plane in a place called Punta Arenas, Chile, which is in uh, the southernmost city in Chile, in, in Chilean Patagonia. Mm -hmm. And you fly to a Chilean military base on King George Island. That flight is only two and a half hours as opposed to two days sailing. Okay. You board your ship and you spend the same amount of time in Antarctica. So no matter which way you want to go, if you want to find out a lot about yourself in the Drake <laughs> Passage, or you want to get to Antarctica in a hurry, we offer both options for you. So um, the, the journey itself is just as much of the experience as actually stepping foot on the seventh continent. It's uh, 
I can't stress it enough. Like it's transformative. You, you really find out what you're made of crossing the Drake passage or visiting Antarctica with the fly crews. Either way, you have to pack your sense of adventure. Oh, that, that's very clever. <laughs> Packing your sense of adventure with an extra duffel bag of fun. That's it. Um, the, the interesting thing, and I've been on two cruises in my life, only four or five days each, not much. I had the best sleep on both of those cruises because it just like lulls you to sleep. Um, and there was some pretty choppy waters. So it's, it's amazing for people out there who you know might get seasick, might be a little bit different. Um, but you do find out about yourself and, and what you're capable of. And I'm afraid of heights, but I didn't really care. Looking out at the ocean, it just miles and miles and then a couple hundred feet down and it was still fine. So yeah. finding out about yourself is, is definitely important on any journey, especially when it goes to an exciting place that you've never been. Not many people have gone. Um, how many would you say have been to Antarctica? You know, and Antarctica has become easier and easier to access over, over the last few years. There's more companies offering trips, but they still tend to be small ships. In the case of Cork Expeditions, all of our ships are under 200 passengers. So in a given season, um, which is November to March for Antarctica, across all of the operators going, there might be at most 10 to 15,000 people who are going to be able to visit Antarctica, which to, I mean, let's put that in perspective. Some of the mega cruise ships out there that are going to places like the Bahamas uh, or, um, you know, other places in the Caribbean, there could be 5,000 people on that ship by itself. You know, so um, in terms of, of having that cachet and, and getting off the beaten path, places like Antarctica, or even better, places like Spitsbergen in the Arctic, which is only, it's still one of the more visited places in the polar regions. So when people, I, I want to focus on Antarctica for this question, but when people get down there, they can disembark from the vessel, right? And go yeah. onto the island? Okay. Yeah, we, we specialize in getting everybody off the ship at once. I, I mentioned before that the ships are about 200 people or less. And that's actually a very specific reason for that is um, due to the regulations in Antarctica, they're, they're governed by uh, tourism to Antarctica is governed by an organization called IATO, the International Association of Antarctic Tour Operators. It's a industry kind of self-regulating regulating body that sets the, um, the regulations, the, the capacities, the permitting for travel to these areas, um, they stipulate that no more than 100 people are allowed on shore at any given moment. And that's to protect these really fragile areas to ensure the wildlife is not disturbed. Mm -hmm. And we're also very unique in the industry that while our ships can have up to 199 passengers, we get everybody off the ship at once because we can have a hundred walking around on shore, but we offer other activities like kayaking, or stand up paddle boarding, um, Zodiac cruising. Actually, as you see over my shoulder there, that's, that's a Zodiac if you're not familiar. And from there, you can get right up close to glaciers from the water's edge and, and truly understand 
um, from a perspective, just how small we are in the world. And so we get everybody off that ship at once. So you're gonna have the most incredible experiences. You're not gonna miss a thing. And best of all, we're, we strive, we don't want you on the ship. We wanna get you off. We wanna get you into uh, the destinations as much as possible. So at least twice a day, we're going to get you off that ship and help you I experience it. it. I love it. So what kind of wildlife do people experience on, on that continent? In Antarctica, um, the, the wildlife is really abundant. There's multiple species of penguins. Some of the most common that we encounter in the Antarctic Peninsula would be the gentoos, some adelies, um, in uh, chinstraps as well, in some of the sub-Antarctic destinations like South Georgia Island or the Falkland Islands, which are kind of the Galapagos of the Southern uh, Ocean. We encounter rock hoppers and macaroni and even the second largest penguins in the world, the king penguins. Uh, the king penguins come in at just about three to three and a half feet tall. Oh so they are truly a sight to see. And, and in South Georgia, there's a breeding colony home to hundreds of thousands of them and they can breed year round. So there's always juveniles and it's really incredible experience. There's marine mammals, of course, you know, fur seals, weddell seals, um, elephant seals. There's lots of abundant whale species. Uh, some blue whale have been spotted, but generally humpback whales um, can, can be seen quite often. So it's just uh, a wealth of wildlife for, for you, for anybody. I mean, if you're a bird lover, seeing the, the albatross, uh, various species of albatross are some of the largest flying birds mm -hmm. in the entire world. The black-browed albatross has a wingspan of over 13 feet and can stay in the air for actually weeks at a time riding the currents. And so you will often spot them uh, making the journey out of Ushuaia across the Drake Passage going to Antarctica. So That's it's phenomenal. just incredible. Yeah. And I feel like hearkening back, it, it is a once in a lifetime experience for a lot of people. So it's, it's really special. And seeing that only, you know, 15,000 or so can go each year. Um, do you, or maybe can you talk to um, the environmental preservation or environmental um, effectiveness of this yeah. trip? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I mentioned before the governing organization called IATO. Um, there's a, a kind of respective organization for the Arctic regions called IACO, which is the Association of Expedition Cruise Operators. And both are, are kind of the industry getting together and regulating, setting everything from the number of people that can be in one place, permitting to ensure that there's never more than one ship at any given landing site, the size of the ships, the what you're allowed to bring, what you're allowed to not to take off, what you're allowed to not bring, how do you clean up, how do you preserve, what are the protocols, and, you know, we're very fortunate at Quark Expeditions that not only are we members of these organizations, but we were founding members. We helped create them. And today we sit on the board of various uh, committees within both organizations. So we're not just adhering. We're actually helping create 
those protocols. Um, you know, I, I mentioned before that uh, Antarctica has a limit of 100 people on shore. If your ships are over 200 passengers from about 200 to uh, 500, the number of potential places you're, you would be allowed to visit is reduced from well over 100 to only about 15. Mm -hmm. Your ship is larger than 500, you can sail past, you can wave, you can say you saw it, but you can't say you've been. Mm -hmm. And that's all part of preserving these areas and ensuring that they don't become too over-touristed, too over-trafficked, and that um, everybody that is visiting them has a vested interest in ensuring that they're there forever and, and, and for as long as we can. And that's another thing that Quark Expeditions really specializes in is like, when you're on board, you will learn about how these regions are changing. What's happening to them? What's disappearing? What is the effect on the wildlife? And we don't whitewash anything. We don't sugarcoat anything. For us, it's, it's, a, it's a reality and we need to call attention to it. But more importantly, Monica, let's say you're on one of our ships and, and you're learning about these things. You will be equipped with the knowledge and sort of a toolkit to be what we call polar ambassadors. And so when you go home, you say, I saw the change. I saw what's going on. And it's not like somebody should do something about it. Now it's what can I do about it? How can I reduce my, my waste? How can I reduce my carbon footprints? Um, what small changes can I make? Because for, you know, we, we believe that kind of the, the fire of change has to start with a spark. Mm -hmm. So if it's just as simple as switching to, you know, reusable straws, mm -hmm. not idling your car, buying a Tesla, if that's, if that's how, you know, you said, I'm going to make the impact on the world, whatever it is. We want to help you reach that decision because it's going to affect these areas in which we travel. I love that. You know, they, they go there with a dream and they come home with inspiration. Yeah, because I mean, otherwise, like you, you see these things on TV and you go, that's pretty bad. Somebody should do something about that. And then it, it, it kind of switches on once you've experienced it, once they live in, in your heart. Now it's like, I have to do something about it. I need to work to protect it. And so that's what we're creating in, in our travelers. Yeah, that's wonderful. So, you know, a couple of years ago, I do a lot of traveling throughout Europe for work and for pleasure. That's where my family's from. The, the trip I took was to see the World Cup. And instead of looking at Expedia for specials for, you know, housing, flight, et cetera, I, I had met a travel agent a wonderful woman. And she's like, you know, just let me know before you go and I'll let you know, you know, what your options are. I'm like, okay. So she actually helped coordinate a lot of what we did when we were in um, traveling through uh, France. And these were options not available on, you know, Expedia's of the world or cheapo flights. Obviously the flight we, we booked on our own because these points, but um, everything else, it was just nice to have kind of a buttoned up service. So, I mean, with what you do, what's the benefit of going through an agent versus the Expedias of the world? 
I, I don't know if you can see it, but my heart is uh, is so light right now. I'm I'm really enjoying you hearing hearing you say that. Um, as a former travel agent, or as uh, there's actually been a shift in the industry to kind of change the language. No longer is it a travel agent, somebody who sells travel. It's now a travel advisor, somebody who advises on travel and, and guides you to the right selections and the right choices for your trip. In the end, travel advisors work for you, not for the suppliers. My role as a business development manager, I work today with travel advisors to help equip them with the knowledge and the uh, information to guide travelers like yourself to come to the polar region. So um, I'm actually one step removed from like from you by the time you get on the ship, but I'm helping your travel agent um, every step of the way because there are travel agents who do specialize in, in particular areas and they're the best because they have the most inside knowledge. They know all the little quirks. If you have one that, for instance, like your trip to France, you have one that specializes in France and knows all the ins and outs. They can tell you what time to get to the Louvre to, to make sure you see the Mona Lisa. They can set you up with a behind the scenes tour. They have access that nobody else can deliver. Yeah. Uh, but they can't know everything. So you have your travel agent, you have your travel advisor that you love to work with. And you go, you know what? I would love to go to Antarctica. Can, can you help me? And she'll say, Yes, I can. And the reason why she can say, yes, I can, is because having part of having that knowledge and that expertise is having the right partners. And so, you know, very often I will get on a phone call with a travel advisor, with their clients, answer any questions, because um, I don't think it's fair to expect anybody to know everything. Mm -hmm. But what they need to know is how to get the information. And so a company like Quark Expeditions, what we specialize in is polar travel. So if Chris, tra Chris the travel advisor, doesn't know, he, he or she can say, you know what? I have somebody. Mm -hmm. And that's where I come in. I'm that somebody. Um, when it comes to just using a travel advisor in general, they have your back. They're your advocates. If they're doing their job perfectly, you'll never actually know how much they did or how much they've helped you because it's all very seamless. Yeah. But let's face it, in the world today, I mean, I think the last nine months have been a great example of things that are beyond any control. They're completely unforeseen. Mm -hmm. Travel advisors are your best friend. They're your best resource. They can help you, you know, recoup any cancellations they can help you get rebooked. They're your advocate, they're fighting for you. And so they're working with suppliers like myself to make sure that their clients are well taken care of. They are looking after you before, during, and even after the trip, if there's anything that you need as a follow-up, maybe something didn't go right, they can work with the hotel to maybe make it right for next time to work with your travel insurance. Maybe you had a little hiccup, you fell, you hurt yourself, you need, you know, you need some doctor's bills reimbursed. All of those things are things that a travel advisor can do that uh, the online tour operators of the world 
cannot and quite frankly will not do because it's very transactional with them. With your advisor, it's personal. These are small Mm -hmm. business owners. They depend on you. They don't get paid until you travel. Right. And so if you don't get to go, if you don't have the best possible experience, they don't make a living. And furthermore, if you don't come back to them, they don't have a sustainable living. So it's all about creating this ecosystem of trust and respect and partnership for everybody involved to ensure that it's the best possible experience all across the board. I love it. There's, um, you know, Airbnb, you've heard of Airbnb, and now they have experiences. Some are virtual because of COVID and others are on site. So when I was in Portugal last time, I used their experience to do something. And had it not been actually for the Airbnb host suggesting this experience on Airbnb experiences, I wouldn't have gone. But she had intimate knowledge of the industry. She had intimate knowledge of the area, what to do, what to see. If that's replicated in travel agents or travel advisors, that is so valuable. But I wish I didn't have to wait until I got there to know that I wanted to go surfing for the day or to know that I wanted to go on this excursion for the evening. Um, So I am grateful for my travel advisor and I cannot wait much like a lot of our listeners cannot wait to use her again to just get out of this country just for a little while um, and, and see what else is out there and just not have to think about it. And I can just show up. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, I would also encourage within your comfort level, they are not just for big, fancy, complicated trips out of the country. Mm -hmm. If you have a need or a desire to travel, even within our own country, they can be a valuable resource That's for you. That's a great it's, point. It's the same partnership. So, um, you know, call them whenever, even if it's just as simple as you want a night getaway in New York City. I mean, but to be honest with you, I would much rather work with an advisor because while I live an hour away, I don't often experience it the way somebody visiting it might for right. the first time. So it's, it's working with an advisor who has that knowledge and that insight. Um, I, I planned a trip to Newport, Rhode Island back in August. It's the only time I've traveled uh, since February. It is the only hotel stay I've had since February. You're talking to somebody who normally spends over 150 to 200 nights in hotels a year. I've spent three since February. Um, I, I worked and I planned with some of my advisor partners and I called them up and I said, hey, you know, have you been to Newport? What can you tell me? What kind of insight can you give me? Where can I go with my dog? Right. And I had a, and I had a great uh, friend in the, um, in the advisor community who was like, oh, I went with my dog. I can tell you everywhere you can go, all the dog-friendly hotels. I can tell you everything you need to know. So it, it was so valuable. I could have spent hours researching all that. Yeah. I mean, I was an advisor. I'm used to researching it for my clients. But um, just the couple quick emails and I, and I was all sorted. That was, the, that was the way to go. That's wonderful. So time for my last question, Chris. Okay. What is your mission? My mission is actually borrowed from a company that I used to work for, but I really love it. And so I continue to use it as my mission. 
So um, if anybody listening out there recognizes it, I am not claiming credit for it, but I continue to use it. And my mission really is about opening the world for those who want to see it, making it accessible, making sure that they have the ability to travel when and where they wish and, and making it a possible, uh, excuse me, making it possible for them. Mm -hmm. um, every day at work, I help create trips and send people to Antarctica, the seventh continent, to the North Pole, the geographic North Pole. We're one of the only companies in the world that sends people to the North Pole. Fewer people have attempted Mount Everest than have been to the North Pole. And most of those people who've been to the North Pole have been with Quark Expeditions. And I get to help deliver those experiences through my knowledge, my expertise, but also that of my team, my incredible operations team, my incredible sales teams. We all work together to ensure the best possible experience for those who want to go. Awesome. And we, it's all about ensuring that there's never a reason why not. I think we've all realized in nine months, putting things off, putting things off, putting things off, there eventually will come a day where you no longer have to put things off. You just can't go anymore. Right. That's where we're at right now. And so I really think um, once travel starts opening up again, places like uh, where Quark Expeditions goes, these are going to be much higher on people's list because it's no longer going to be like, I'll go there another time. I'll, I'll, I'll save. I'll wait. I'll wait. I'll wait. No, no, no. And now it's, it's moved up in priority mm -hmm. because, quite frankly, you can't go. And so, you know, there's lots of places I envisioned myself traveling this year. I didn't get to travel to. Who knows when I will get to travel to them. So you can bet that the first opportunity I have, I'm going to go to some of those places first. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, thank you, Chris, for sharing your time and your information with us. Um, for everybody listening, his information is in the show notes below. Feel free to reach out to him for your next adventure or to just talk about it. Thank you all. Have a great day. Reminder that all the thoughts, opinions, and expressions are exclusive to the person and not representative of any company, brand, or organization.